Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And this week, I am thrilled that we read Parsha Korach, just because it is the greatest Parsha. It is such an amazing story of a guy named Korach, who ostensibly appears out of nowhere and just raises hell amongst the entire nation and with Moshe and Aharon. And so what I wanted to do today is look at the story through one lens and consider what it can teach us about leadership, toxic leadership, manipulative leadership, and what exactly made Korach such a dangerous person. Now, I did the same thing last year for this podcast also. What I wanted to do today, and if you're going to print up or look at one thing before Shabbos, I really recommend making it Tanakh.org, Rabbi Menachem Liebtag's website. If you just go and click for Parsha Korach, there's one article about it. It's his analysis of the entire story, and it's brilliant. And so I really, really recommend that as a resource. I'll use that today to help guide our reading of the story of Korach. Now, what Rabbi Liebtag points out is that there are different ways to read this story that it's one story of one group of protesters against Moshe Nahum, or that it's actually two overlapping stories of two different groups. And so I wanted to read it according to that latter interpretation, having that in mind to help us get arrive in an understanding of what really made Korach Korach. So let's dive in. Chapter 16 of Bamidbar. Now, the, the story of Korach opens with the sort of famous slash infamous statement of Vaikach Korach ben Yitzhar ben Kahat ben Levi, that Korach, son of Yitzhar, son of Kahat, son of Levi, took. And there's a whole question, well, what did he take? There's no object of that action. It's just that he took. And there's lots of different analyses of what exactly that's referring to. We're not going to get into that now, but I think it's important to remember, to have in mind as we do our study today, that the opening le- verb action that Korach does is one that is vague. And then the rest of the Pasuk says, he's along with Datan and Aviram and On Ben Pelet, who are descendants of Reuven. And they all, they kumulifne Moshe, they rise up against Moshe, along with 250 Nisi'im, from the 250 chieftains from the community, on Sheshim, right? They're men of repute, they're men of a name. And so this whole group, Korach and his descendants, and then the descendants of Reuven and this group of 250 leaders, they kalu right? They gather, they, they commune, and then they gather against Moshe and Aharon. And here's what their problem is. Rav Lachem, Right, you have too much. Because actually, this whole community is holy, and Hashem is amongst all of them. So why are you raising yourselves above Hashem's congregation? In other words, hey, Moshe and Aharon, supposedly we're all holy. Hashem resides amongst all of us. Why do you think, why are you placing yourselves on a level higher than everybody else. Moshe hears this. They pull up Hanav and he falls on his face. And we look at the initial charge of, why are you guys better than us? And we can actually start to piece, to tease out from Moshe and Aaron's responses to them, 
what exactly the exact nature of the complaint was. Because first Moshe speaks to, our, to Korach and his group. He says, you know what? In the morning, Hashem's going to show us who really is chosen in order to be close to Hashem. So Korach, here's what you guys are going to do. Take your fire pans, you're going to put fire in them, and then you're going to put incense in them. And then we'll see from Hashem who Hashem chooses. And then he ends with the same um, attack that Korach uses for him, which is Rav Lachem B'nai Levi, right? You have gone too far. You thought I went too far. You think I've got too much. Uh, 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 uh. No, that's you. And you're going to get what's coming to you. It's a very foreboding statement. And then he continues to say to Korach, what, it's not enough for you that, you know, the that Hashem has set you apart from Israel, meaning you guys are Levim and you guys have jobs in the Mishkan? Right, when all the Levim, all the, the sons of Levi all had jobs in the Mishkan. Only Aharon and his family had the actual job of the Kahuna, of being the Kohanim, of being the priests. But everyone had roles and responsibilities for the Mishkan itself. And so he says here now, wait a minute, guys. You, it's not good enough that you have a role in serving the Mishkan? Right now you also want to be Kohanim? Right? Like Kind of like saying... Uh, you guys are better than everybody else already, right? You already have an elevated stature. It's just not good enough for you. You just want to be at the top. And he also gets, so he's really angry at Korach and really lashing out. And then he sends for Datan and Aviram, who the text then implies are not there. And they say, nope, we're not coming. Why would we come? You've brought us out of the, the land flowing with milk and honey, which of course, ironically, is referring to Egypt, not to Israel just so you can be in charge of us in the wilderness and have us die out here. We're not coming. So, as I said, Rabbi Liebtag reads this as actually two different narratives. It is, some of the some of the commentaries read this as just one narrative. You've got a whole group of people who are just upset the motion our own or a position of power. Rabbi Liebtag reads this as actually two groups. One is Korach and his crew. They're upset because even though they are the sons of Levi, and even though they are in charge of parts of the Mishkan, they did not get the kahuna. They are not the priests. They are not at the top. And Moshe has one response to them. Then you've got Datanaviram and Omben Pelet, who are the descendants of Ruvain, the firstborn child. And who, if you're living in a world of primogenitor, of favoring the firstborn, which they are, even though the Torah fights against that narrative, you, they are mad that Moshe is the leader of the people because Moshe is not from Ruvain. And so they're just they're just like, dude, why did you take us out of here in order so that you could be in charge of us? Right? They're just mad that Moshe's in charge. It doesn't have anything to do with the kahuna. It has to do with political power. Right? So again, two narratives, two stories happening in one <laughs> in one shmush together narrative. Now, you see that play out actually with the punishment is also one minute, honey. You see that play out with one minute and, and uh, the same with the punishments. Because actually we see that the two groups are punished in different ways. As we know, there's the very famous image of Korach and his crew. And they're standing. And what happens? The, or the ground opens up and swallows them down alive, right? The, the ground just opens up and swallows them, and they go down to Sha'ol. That's Korach and his people. But then there's also the Datan and Aviram, right? the, the other group, the 250 people. And what happens to them? They, the fire comes out, 
and consumes them. That's the last verse of chapter sixteen of chapter sixteen. Right, the the two hundred fifty with the ketorah, they just get swallowed up by fire. So as we said, this is these are the grounds to argue that these are two different stories and that they all just got mushed together into one parsha. Now, of course, the question is, why? What is the significance? Why wouldn't the Torah separate these into two different stories and two different narratives? Why combine them into one big challenge of Moshe Aharon's leadership and authority? And I think that comes back to the question of Korach and the role that Korach played. Now, as we said, the Torah opened, the Parsha opens with Vaikach Korach, Korach took. What did he take? We have no idea. I think it's an intentionally vague statement. And what I think it refers to in general is, what did Korach take? Korach didn't really actually have any one complaint. He took people who were complaining and he kind of merged them all together, right? He noticed that there were different strains of upset in the community. And in fact, he stoked one of them by complaining about the Levim and the, having the kahuna, right? He's someone who sees upset, can create upset, and then can perpetuate upset, right? So he's got, he's got his group who he's gotten upset about the, the fact that they're not the Kohanim. And then he's got another group. He's got all these children of Ruvain. And they're mad that they don't have the political leadership. Please excuse the sound that my children are creating in the background. They're upset that they don't have the political leadership, right? And what makes Korach Korach? The fact that he was able to take these different groups and blend them together into one big challenge to Moshe and Aharon's leadership. He was able to blend them together into one general uprising. Now, the most amazing thing about Korach is not just that at the beginning, but also looking at what happens at the end. As Rabbi Liebtag points out, when the ground swallows up Korach's Eidah, Korach's group of people, then what something amazing happens, which is that Korach himself is not actually mentioned there. That his people are swallowed up, and it says, They swallowed up their children and everyone who was part of Korach and all the property. But who doesn't actually get swallowed up there? Who's not mentioned by name? And that is Korach. Korach seems to survive in some sense. Now, that's a complicated statement because later in the Torah, it is implied directly in Devarim. Shut Stop. It is implied in Devarim that Korach was swallowed up as part of this and that Korach was killed. However, it's not mentioned here. And in fact, if you look at the Gemara in Sanhedrin on 110a, Rabbi Yochanan says that Korach is neither one of those who were swallowed up nor one of those who was burnt. Right? It says that he wasn't swallowed up because he's not actually mentioned. But also for the ones who were burnt, it just says that the 250 were burnt up and Korach isn't mentioned also. Now, there's then another Tana who teaches that actually he was punished twice, that he was both swallowed up and then burnt. But what Rabbi Yochanan here is pointing out is that Korach manages to not actually explicitly be part of either punishment. Now, why is that so significant? 
What does it mean that we have a leader who was able to take multiple groups of people who were just agitated with the current system, who wanted more for themselves, and then combine that with the fact that in the end, he gets them all killed, he gets them all punished, but he himself doesn't actually necessarily go down with either ship. Now, I think that is the very fact that makes Korach, certainly someone who needs to be mentioned by name here, if a person named after him, but such a dangerous person. This is someone who could not only see the writing on the wall, who could not only tease apart and manipulate out upset from multiple groups of people, but also someone who was able to then sidestep any of the consequences of their actions. Korach, in that sense, is a brilliant manipulator. And not just a brilliant manipulator, but someone who is smart enough to not actually fall into the traps that he is creating for other people. He's like, he's enjoying creating chaos, reaping the benefits, and getting none of the punishment. I think that's exactly what makes Korach such a dangerous person, and what makes this such an important Parsha. It's because it's it's the exact opposite of leadership. It's the exact opposite of responsibility. And I think that this is a, a really important point to have in mind, like especially this year, especially in our world right now. Um, you know, we're in the middle of living through the January 6th hearings. Um, we're in the middle of watching what, how, how does a country contend with a former president, right? The ultimate leader who managed to sow, to manipulate, to, um, to bubble forth enormous resentment amongst groups of people. Resentment that isn't necessarily even so obvious what they were resentful of, right? Resentment that got represented with the election was stolen, which are clearly just complete lies, but who was able to identify in a group of people, general discontent, upset, feeling left out, feeling angry, and able to draw it forth and use it solely for his own benefit, solely for his own ego. And what I think that our country is contending with right now is, what happens when the person who created this entire scene hasn't actually been held accountable and perhaps can't be held accountable? And we'll see what happens, right? Manages to get a lot of other people in a whole lot of trouble and even get some people killed, right? Other people imprisoned. Other people lose their jobs and blacklisted and delicately actually sidesteps having to take any responsibility for his actions. And I think on a meta level, that's what's going on in our country right now is that we're witnessing how we figure out what to do in that situation and whether we can, in fact, hold those leaders accountable for what they've done. Shabbat Shalom.